0: If you get half the people open your emails, if 15% of the people who got sent an email open, that's 150 replies out of 1,000 people.
1: You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Steve Harlow, Chief Sales Officer at Sopro.
0: How are you doing today, Steve? Very well. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. So today we will be speaking about how to create successful email marketing campaigns and the benefits of doing so. As I said to you in the preparation of this this episode, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it because I think a lot of people associate emails with an old technique, but we know that emails can be an absolute killer to get success. So hopefully today you share some tips and get some people to wake up to the fact that email marketing is not dead, but if it's done properly, it can actually be successful at a very, very, very small expense. So yeah. before we get started, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background as to who you are yourself, Steve, and also the company you represent, Sopro?
0: Sure. I mean, the, the company background and, and story is a little more interesting than my own. I mean, personally, I fell into sales after doing a, a degree. It was in IT, and I thought, right, I want to get out in the, right, the big, wide world of work. Saw a job advert very ambiguous about a certain amount of earnings, thought I'll just go and find out what that's about, and ended up being a field sales representative, saving businesses money on their telecom bills. So completely different to what I, I studied. However, got the bug for sales and have been in a variety of roles from you know, selling telecoms. I, uh, I've been in a couple of recruitment firms as well, slightly more 360. And it was about seven years ago that I was Probably pestered by my brother and his co founder Ryan to just drop everything and join them in their new adventure being Sopro. Yep. And I, I mean, to start off with, I, I was a little bit reserved and thought, do I want to have the risk of earning nothing to go into a company like this? But I thought, well, you know, it's worth giving it a go. You know, I'm not, it's not like I couldn't go back into another recruitment role if, if, if it went wrong. So the, the whole idea of Sopro is to take the prospecting side of the sales process and run it in the most effective, efficient way possible. And although we originally started off prospecting via LinkedIn, which is very familiar now, when we started doing it, it it wasn't as prevalent. So you could get some, some pretty good results, but it was already starting to head in the direction of being a bit overused and people starting to to not pay as much attention. Uh, We always had plans to move our contacting to email. And if you look at when people talk about email, whether they feel it works or it doesn't work, at that point, predominantly, it was another service that a digital marketing company may provide, rather than somebody going, we know email and we're going to run this activity the best way possible, which is what we founded. It's going, right. We're going to focus on prospecting, finding the right people, and doing the outreach to start those conversations. Not spread it any further than that. Just become complete experts in that area. Now, when you have a service like ours, you're very fortunate because you can use it to build your own business. So we are our own customers. We run exactly the same service that we do for our clients, for ourselves. And that has enabled us to year on year double in size. So 2015, there were... Rob and Ryan. We've now got around about 250 people in the business. We're split across two main uh, offices, one being in Brighton here in the South of England and the other being in North Macedonia. We are this year going to expand and open up a US office, which should be by the beginning of Q2, hopefully, if if it goes to plan. So yeah, we we want to really start going out to that market a bit more. And we look after and and serve a whole range of, of types of businesses. It's all B2B, so I'm not going to touch on any B2C marketing activities, but B2B side where you're doing business development and outreach, they're the sort of clients we work with. And the only other requirement is that a company doesn't have a really niche target market. You know, there's 30 companies they can work with, and you're not going to prospect to them. And we've had about 15 I'm trying to get the maths right now because it changes all the time. So we're probably about 2,000 clients have started working with us since we began, wow. um, with about 650 active uh, at the moment.
1: Impressive. That's really good. Well, what I'm interesting to really get from you today is like is tips and best practices. So, you know, what would you say are the top tips and best practices uh, to get the very best out
0: of an email campaign, basically? Sure. So, when you, when people think about email email campaigns, there's a variety of types of where you could use it. You know, you've got your newsletter, blog posts, lead nurturing type emails, which you can run via your CRM, with HubSpot, things like MailChimp. And and they are useful because they keep your brand and hopefully your name in the mindset of the people you're trying to sell to. But what we look at are the emails that are there to start that initial conversation. So potentially going to businesses and people that have never heard of your organization to introduce and kickstart, hopefully, some sort of relationship. So we've got huge amounts of, of data over sending millions of emails over the last few years that have allowed us to not only get a feel for what to write, but also when you should send emails, the subject lines you should use, uh, the length of an email, what types of people respond best, who you should contact in relevant businesses. So I'll cover a few of those off now, which people find quite useful. We have actually just released a white paper called, uh, it's the State of Prospecting. Which oh, is kind well, of five years worth of data. Yeah, I mean, it did. I think they finally released it last week after a long time in the making. So I'll, I'll get a copy across, but that Please. shares some of the insights as well. But to, to begin with, if you're if you're trying to contact somebody as a, a salesperson, you only really have a few options. You have a social media contact. You've got sending something by post. You could try just turning up physically at their premises, which is not going to happen. You could pick up the phone, or you can send emails there aren't really many other options in in terms of outreach Of course you can make your company interesting to those businesses with advertising lots of other campaigns but in terms of going out that's what you're you're restricted to and things like LinkedIn they do work however if I'm let's you mentioned about a CEO I may have a profile on LinkedIn am I going to have it open all the time Am I going to pay a great deal of attention to the inbox? Probably not. I don't know why LinkedIn chose to redesign their inbox the way it is now but outbound messages are above inbounds and it's it's chronological order so it's very easy to miss things so it's uh, I, I think it definitely serves a purpose but if I'm trying to go out to a, a senior member of somebody who won't necessarily spend their day-to-day time on something like LinkedIn then in terms of cost and effectiveness email is is one of the best ways to do that we've also noticed that when I don't know people will talk about the pandemic, such a buzzword, but when it all kicked off a bit in 2020, we were in the same boat as everyone else, where panic mode, what's going to happen? And actually, it turns out that our offering is very pandemic-proof. So we had a couple of slower sales months, a few clients who had to leave, but then from May 2020 onwards, absolutely started flying again. And if you think about what may transpire In the future, if more people are not going to be at the same premises, like an office all the time, then therefore landing in someone's inbox doesn't matter where they are. They can have it on their mobile, have it on their laptop. You've got a much better chance of your outreach getting straight through to that person. In order to think about how you should send your emails, the email is not designed to get somebody to want to buy your service or buy your product. There's nothing about that at all you want to email everybody, ideally with a very personalized one-to-one email that shows that you think you can help that particular business. If you went down the route of writing all those emails by hand, or not by hand, but you know, typing them in yourself and putting in personalized information about the business, you will have a very personalized email. However, when you contact that person, if timing is just not right... It's not, go not going to go anywhere. You're not going to get that yeah. conversation. So therefore, you want to recreate that feeling of one-to-one emails, but on a slightly more mass basis, which is, which is what we do. So we first off have to find the right sorts of people to contact. We do use LinkedIn for that. We can find their email addresses through some tech that we've got which you run through and verify. I would say to people, try to avoid buying lists just because it's very hard to maintain an accurate list and there's a good chance you'll have out-of-date details. If you can outsource somebody to build this list by hand and, and contact them on uh, like pretty soon after you've identified them, that'll be a good thing. But the, the style of email you want to write wants to be no more than, say, four paragraphs, short paragraphs, and it's going to be you saying who you are, why you're contacting them, what you would like to do, which logically the next step is normally grab a coffee have a phone call give them a brief demo and then have a, a call to action which is reconfirming or oh, can we do this then in, in in a week's time or at the end of this week we do also say about having a bit of a softener in an email i know it sounds a bit cheesy it's like someone rings you up oh, and says how's to the weather it's, it uh, could yeah, be anything yeah. yeah so i hope the day's not running away too quickly from you just just something that breaks up the high to this is why I'm contacting it. If you can personalize those as well, that's good. Um, so when, when we create this short email for uh, a person or a client that we're working with, we're always make we we'll make sure we strip out redundant words. I'm sure you've read many CVs in your time, and people's personal statements often contain information about them being dedicated and hardworking and punctual. There's no examples to back that up. It's just it's just fluff and it doesn't really add any value. So we, we take the fluff out of the emails as well. You know, what, what are the key benefits or key one or two benefits and why do you want to speak to them? And that normally can reduce the work count a bit as well. Simplify the language. You know, don't try and put anything in there that people are going to have to read a few times to understand how you help people. If you don't have an elevator pitch, form that before you can start writing these emails. And in case people aren't aware of the elevator pitch, it's your 10-second your explanation of what your business does, like if you had to tell somebody what you did whilst you stepped into an elevator and you were going up a couple of floors. Uh, so the, the message has to be very stripped down. With the subject line, don't try and trick people. I'm sure you've seen people put FW or RE yeah. and, and made yeah,
1: it. Yeah. Such a bad way to start the relationship. You, you want to engage with me and the first thing you do is lie to me. Like pretending that some you are forwarding something you're not. I mean, why would they do that? You know, or people who put lots of emojis. It's like, I don't even understand how these emails get delivered. You know, like spam filter should get rid of that. Who put some emoji in your email, right? I mean, in, in the title of an email. Yeah. It's it's a little bit strange. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been there. I've seen those. I've been opening them and you're like, oh, God, okay. It's just straight away it's such a bad... I think it's actually damaging for the brand.
0: Yeah. I have actually started advocating for a couple of emojis in. If I'm emailing back and forth with somebody, I will sometimes pop an emoji in the email body, but never in the subject line.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, nah, so, yeah, just just because when you read something, like I could read the same sentence with an angry voice in my head and a happy voice in my head, and actually it could come across in a completely different ways. So how I write it is how they read it. Sometimes a little emoji, but but anything like that in the subject line it screams mass marketing and yeah it's just just not really ideal so we we tend to say maybe personalize it with the person's name or the company name and really say w- w- what you want to do which that's, for our- ma- that's massive
1: you know the, the amount of email that I received where people are just asking me for 15 minutes of my, my time because they've got something to show me and yeah. they don't tell me why what and why me why me what do you want to show I mean, why would I, you know, time is the most precious thing that I've got, right? Absolutely. Why would I give you 15 minutes of my time if I don't know what on earth you want? And I, I love what you've got to say because we've got the same very like the same methodology, short to the point, couple of bullet points, don't get big paragraph, just tell them very quickly why them, why now, and what you would like to do from it. The question that I've got for you, and I think that's, that's the $1 million question and maybe a little bit of your secret recipe and stuff is... How on earth do you manage to be pertinent, relevant, and and I mean, personalize is a bit easier, but at scale, how how do you, you know, you said something that I love, which is, hey, if you write the email yourself and you just personalize them, you probably would get a ten to twenty percent response rate if you do it. But it takes time; it takes a lot of time. And if you do that at scale, and you could get that sort, even if you get five, six to ten percent response rate, that would be beautiful. So
0: how do you guys manage that sort of pertinence or or relevance at scale so you're right some of it is a bit of a secret source, but the when you talk about the data interesting we we look at the obvious decision makers champions and influencers because you're trying to start a conversation with people that are relevant yeah Uh, but what we do with the the data itself we do a manual qa in terms of if we're going to talk about the company we look at how the company is written in the data if it's Barclays Bank PLC. Then, if I'm writing that email, I wouldn't say, "Oh, we want to speak to Barclays Bank PLC." We we write Barclays, just the brand name. So we strip out all the the company names and make sure they're written in a way that would feed into an email. We think about the industry, and let's say we've got the very static, obvious industries like oh, it says, marketing and advertising. You know, we we can shorten that down to probably just marketing, because advertising could all fall within that. Information and technology services. You can shorten that to tech. And and we by personalizing all the raw data, that basic email we've written, we use personalization points. We make sure they pull through the personalization in a way that just flows in that sentence and doesn't scream out as in, I'm a parameter that's being filled, I'm a parameter, and so am I. We have a lot of fail-saves built in as well, so we can't send out an email to dear first name, you know it can't our system won't allow that. Uh, so it's finding that balance of writing something that could well be personalized for that individual person. We try not to be overly assumptive with this is the problem we solve because you you could talk about generally what you do, but not necessarily, we will solve this for you because you're assuming that they've got that. And you've got to tread carefully because if if you yeah. say something that's a bit too assumptive, the people that, having a bad day might be like well how do you know that about me yeah. and only it's not Israel, rare but it happens but that that's really how we make it feel like it's personalized because we do put in the information like the industry the company name we might talk about oh we help other smaller tech businesses because we know that the headcount is 11 to 50 we've labeled that as smaller, or maybe one to 10 we've labeled that to smaller rather than one to 10 and that email that goes through might have six or seven data points but it doesn't yeah. look like that in any way the person just receives an email that feels as though somebody has written directly to them. Yeah. So it's that balance of, of effort versus being able to get a sensible number of emails out each day. And I will say that the, don't focus too much on that initial intro email, because although it makes a difference, we have statistically, we find over the, well, over the last year anyway, 80% of all replies that came from the prospects back to our clients were from the second, third, and fourth emails that we send out, which are polite nudges on the first one. So very much the same. Let's say, I mean, it's good to take an internal example. So if you were emailing one of the people that work with you, they hadn't replied in a couple of days, you'd forward it on from your sent email. So we apply that logic to a cold email as well, just slightly longer time span because you don't want to be too aggressive. And with a a final email that Let's them know I'm not going to keep emailing you. You're not going to hear me hear from me for the next six months. Or normally is a fair bit of humor in there, and I'll leave it with you. So, in terms of top tips, get some chaser email set up because you will increase the response rate and lead rate hugely. Because people don't only reply or not reply from the first email, yeah. people miss it. They're busy. They come think I'll come back to it later. Later never arrives. But also they might think, is this person specifically getting hold of me? And the chasers actually add more a more human feel, even so more than the first one. Yeah. So they think, oh, you know, I should at least let this person know, save them, keep emailing me.
1: Uh, I've got so many questions for you. I'm going to start with the first one. I'm, I'm going to try to go chronologically chronologically with what you what you discussed, but you mentioned timing, the timing of sending an email. Yes. I think this is massive, right? I remember when I was prospecting, not out of cheekiness or trying to be smart or whatever, but I used to kind of do my email catch up on this on sunday night so i'm always been a big uh, a big big i don't sleep well on sunday if i don't know what my weeks look like and i get a little bit of a heads up and i don't like to start on monday with a backlog from friday but i never close off my friday properly so i need to do a little bit of work at the weekend not much maybe but the evening was really good friday afternoon was fantastic monday was atrocious so that's my experience from a timing perspective without again giving us all the secret of sopro but what's the prime time
0: well This is a part of what we've released in this uh, the state of prospecting. If I was look holistically, we've often found between ten and eleven a.m. in the morning has overall produced the best results. But there definitely are nuances within that. So, different industries will have different response times. Different seniorities as well will be better at different times. Uh, The the Sunday night thing, I've uh, it's been on my mind for a while. In fact, to trial not going out to necessarily everyone that time to see but trying maybe the ceo level of person who might be as you say very busy on a friday finishes up
1: people i was i was going after c level when i was prospecting was pure c level prospecting never you know so yeah you i think and i think that's a great point you want people back then people had blackberries right so we're talking talking a a little while ago
0: but yeah yeah so I, i think that there is It would be interesting to see what a a Sunday night activity brings. Fundingly enough, you're talking about in France. From my experience, statistically, response rate in France is lower than other neighboring countries. So that could be the timing of emails needs to be adjusted if prospecting in France. You you could have just taught us something about the the right time to send emails. But uh, yeah, the other thing to bear in mind is that a lot of our clients aren't performing SDR activities or BDR activities in terms of they're reliant on things like Sopro to generate the conversation. So the emails we send out, they're not normally interspersing them with their own direct phone calls. They'll normally just take the replies and follow up with those, respond to the client as well, but not punctuated with any other activities in in the meantime. So therefore where what you were looking at on a more manual basis, email outside of core hours, because it doesn't matter when it's sent. Calling and calling, especially when people are more likely to be in the office and present, you, you would uh, prioritize that during the day. But in terms of when we send emails out, yeah, the the the, the mid morning uh, seems to be the, the the peak. But that could change as well over a timeline.
1: The, the other thing that we discuss is kind of that sequence doing when you do it well, emails. Because I'm, I'm I'm hearing all sort of conversion rate for for getting a response. Okay. And I'm not talking about a positive response. I'm talking about a prospect telling you where you are. And that means, yes, let's meet. Yeah. That means interesting, but not now. Or that means we will never meet because of that reason. Okay? Kind yeah. of just, just to be very, to put some categories here. What should be, what's the benchmark to tell yourself, okay, we have run a good campaign. We, put mm. the, we got the data right. We got the subject line right. And I know that when you do subject line, I don't know if you guys do that as well, but sometimes we do like smaller batch with different subjects to see yeah, it's what a
0: split test yeah
1: is of that yeah but what would be a, a good conversion that you would say to your team, look pat on the back we that was a good campaign what 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 should we expect in terms of percentage of
0: response so we have our average stats. Now, On our website, we publish a rolling 12-monthly window. So I could say those stats are what you should aim for. But in reality, they're the average. We've got people performing above and performing below. And if I'm a company that targets enterprise organizations, and I've got an 18-month sales cycle to sell in very high-cost transformational IT software or platforms, I'm not going to be having the same amount of replies as somebody who is contacting smaller businesses and offering reasonably costed monthly IT support or marketing services. So there can be a big difference. We always try to make sure that each campaign is, is somewhere near the average or above. We've got loads of clients who are way below average, but because of what they do and who they sell to, they're I'm happy sure. with it. So yeah. I, I, if I call out the averages, we'd expect you want to have about 15% of the people you've emailed replying. Yeah, which is not the people that have opened. Now our open rates are around that's about
1: excellent, by the way. That's that's much better than our expectations. So you must have something secret back like in your source, which is good. I mean, that's what you do for a living. So I expect you to be better than us. But <laughs> yeah, uh, uh,
0: well, it starts with the open. So we want fifty percent to open to get the email opened. We've talked about you know not having emoji stuff in the subject line, but there's also how you send emails. Eve. Make sure your domain is fresh. Make sure there's no issues with it. That's a whole other subject. won't go on to it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. make sure that you're not landing a spam. So if you get half the people open your emails, if 15% of the people who got sent an email open, that's 150 replies out of 1,000 people. And then in terms of of lead rate, there's, it's not a black and white scenario in terms of, no, yes. What you get are various degrees of yes through to various degrees of no. Uh, So we have a a decline category, which is somebody saying, no, thank you. And then we have people that are at the very end of the scale, a positive reply where they're just like, yeah, let's have that coffee. You then have people who are, yeah, that could be interesting. I'm in the middle of X, Y, Z. Let's, you know, can't just speak in six weeks time. Uh, Any salesperson will contact that person and and start a conversation then. Uh, you also have, as you mentioned, not right for me, but here is Bob who is interested or could be interested. You, you tend to find that people don't put you in touch with somebody else in the business unless there's a reason for it. Otherwise, they'll become quite unpopular in the workplace if they're just rooting cold approaches through to, to relevant people. And um, so we have an average what we call lead rate. So those types of replies are around about three and a half to four percent. So that's 35 to 40 leads are uh, the, the replies where anyone in sales would want to action them straight away to try and move them to a conversation. Positives, pretty much always a conversation. Deferred again, very easy. The referrals, they can present a slight more of a challenge. But we get we get conversations from declines because yeah. a decline can be a, a flippant no without really thinking about it. Or yeah. and, and quite often, it's not a never either.
1: And then you're right, there, there is a sequence. Of another question that got for you is, How many emails is just the right balance? Because you can't send them 40 emails. Some people are oh, you need to do 20. Some of us are like, oh, no, three is enough. I think you are more around five to seven from what you you are
0: saying. No, no, we we tend to send four. I mean, a lot of people talk about touch points between initial to a sale. Whereas, yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't try and contact somebody 20 times. Well, if it was an SDR, maybe I would. But I think if you've emailed somebody four times and, you know, you're making sure that you're landing in inboxes, if they've not done anything with the fourth one, not opened it or anything like that, then there's a good chance the fifth, sixth and seventh aren't going to suddenly make them go, well, now you've emailed me eight times. I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, the, the the fourth email, for well, whatever the last email is, whether the last is a third, a fourth or a fifth, it always needs to let the person know that I don't want to be the person who irritates you. And that's why you get quite a lot of replies from them. Because some people go, no, no, it's fine. I've just been busy. I'm actually interested or you should let me come back to me in X amount of time. You know, if they think that they don't need to do anything because you're just going to keep emailing them every week, then there's no reason for them to, to, to reply. Because if they yeah. are interested, but they don't want to deal with it now, they'll go, well, I'll just reply when I am. Uh, so we, we for, I'd say vast majority of our clients, it's, it's four emails. We space them about six working days apart. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll shrink that if there's an event and we need to speed up the process slightly. The call to action of meeting, if you can meet rather than phone call, always look, is a much better result
1: we also see that the call to action of giving versus yes. taking is good you know so you go to people and say, so look just i mean I'm, I'm trying to prospect your organization quite frankly you must be a fortress guy not been able to speak to anyone but here is a Gardner report that i wanted to share with you right yeah uh, and i would interest you in page two paragraph three because we spoke with one of your colleagues, six, that's when you've got a bit of context, obviously. So you, when you are like a bit more in an account-based approach. So again, probably yeah. ticket sales and stuff like that, but which is pretty much why we, we, we've we got uh, 60% of our clients. So we do a fair amount, but it's two things. Uh, first of all, regarding the flipping the pancake that earlier on is when you get to know, I think this is absolute goal for the sales team. Mm-hmm. Someone saying, no, I don't want to meet with you. you say, why? Okay. And you can go back and that's where, you know, that personalization that you can't do at scale, you can then start to read the personalization. Say, who is that person? What's their role? And then you can really start to almost prepare an email to say, look, with all due respect, and I appreciate your note, but I'm reading this, I'm finding that, doing my research and going into, I still convinced that you would benefit from me, but I would appreciate if, if you tell me why not, and I will leave you alone. But I just need, for, for my own satisfaction and for my own intelligence, please give me the why. If you give me the why, I'll leave you alone. Right? but I just can't see why not, why not now, and whatever. so obviously do that in a polite way. coming back on, this, on the other thing, I think the the giving, people are so much it's, the people who are sending emails sometimes tend to be very selfish, they want your time, but sometimes you could do emails and particularly when you start an email by giving information or sharing a case studies or just saying, well look we've done that or we've been trying to contact you over the phone it's been extremely unsuccessful so we went on to social media still not in your response so here yeah, i am sending you a good old email this is the piece of information i wanted to get you around okay yeah. this is why we think you should meet with us now and this is the value that people companies of your size pretty much get from working with company like us okay So if that's not moving the needle, fine. Just tell me it's not going to move the needle. I'm not interested, but I'd like to get the communication. And often what we tend to do also when we don't get response, but we try to get response to categorize, which some people like don't like is to send a sort of, okay, tell me what it is. Is it one, you will never meet with us. Two, you just don't have the time. Three, you still don't understand what I'm talking about. Four, you work with a competitor or whatever it is. And people. What's very annoying, I've received emails and I just don't. I just delete them, is people say, oh, just wanted to bump my email up. Just wanted to bump my email up. I still don't know what you want from me. Yeah. They will send me three emails saying just an email. And that's kind of leading me to the next question I want to ask you, which is what are the things to avoid? What are the things that you think really piss off people with emails? Because let's, you must be receiving emails. You must be like me. You must have email company emailing you to do email for you. I've got lead generation company. Cutting me every day to sell me lead generation. So clearly not, that day is not right. But what are the things to avoid that you think is, is absolutely outrageous and could cost us a little bit of brand reputation?
0: Yeah, so because we feel like we do this activity so well, when I receive emails, I'm normally just giving, in my head, a critique of what they've, what they've done. And things that put me off... And we advise against a list of bullet points because it then starts to look too much like it's a marketing brochure, which you don't want. Just random bold parts of the email highlighting what they think is going to draw my attention into it. It's just going to irritate me. Where there's lots of times where they've not got a name or something, it's just dear. And they haven't even put uh, who you are. And yeah, there are some chases that just get your back up rather than make you think, oh, I'll I'll get in touch with the person. Like what you're saying, you know, oh, I haven't, I didn't hear back, you know, and then giving a certain amount of reasons. You know, it's, diff- it's different saying, oh, I haven't heard back yet. Uh, and the slight nuance is saying, as I haven't heard back yet, I just thought, you know, I would give you a, you know, a, a nudge on this. And then you give up another bit of value. You say, you know, we really feel like we could benefit X, Y, Z in this area. So let me know if you're available for a, for a chat. You just say, as you mentioned, having a back, put it to the top of your email. You're like, well, who are you? So it, yeah. it's, it's too, if it's too impersonal, if, if it's full of, if it doesn't look like somebody's opened up Outlook or Gmail and just sent it to me, I don't like that. Images, again, oh. uh, that's a big no-no. You don't have a load of images. Link, probably link are not great either for spam filters. Um, You you normally have a link in your signature, but not like a link in the body. But that's another thing. I get a lot of emails with no signature. And I'm thinking, who are you? Yeah. Are you even a business? And and I'm probably talking more about the the really bad style prospecting emails, but make sure you've got your signature in there. You know, otherwise, yeah, it doesn't look like a legitimate company in the slightest. And and it could be that you just haven't put it in there for whatever you're using to send your emails out from.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Look, the the really, I mean, I could go on and I've got so many questions. I will, I will stop the bullet point because I thought the bullet point was, was a good way to read them. I like to well, read. You could probably read, put two in the there, point. maybe a couple. No, I don't know. I, I, I will try without. But I think the, the thing that is important is, you know, none of those tactics should be seen as the, as the silver bullet. Last question that I've got for you, which is probably where we should have started, is, is, is data privacy laws. Oh, the elephant yeah. in the room. GDPR e-privacy. I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder here. So I'm, I'm going to let you just, ca- can you clarify what on earth is going on to our audience? Because I think people get really confused between the two. Mm. You speak about personalized email. So an email coming from someone versus, you know, uh, sending, a, I guess, a blanket email that goes to thousands of people, et cetera, et cetera. So can you just tell us what's right? What's wrong from a data low privacy perspective
0: or data well, privacy? The, the the challenge that everyone is having is that there's very few places where it's black and white. A lot of the places it's you should do this, you should have reasonable. But the the first thing to take away is that GDPR isn't isn't there to govern where you, whether you can send an email to somebody. It's about protecting people's private data from being used in ways that they don't want it to be used, and. Things like your personal email address, your home address, your phone number. know these are very identifiable pieces of information. Your job title, your name if you're on something like LinkedIn, and your business email address. Yes, they're PII. But actually, do they cause a significant risk to your, you yes. know, your, your, your person uh, if somebody has that information? No, not really. But either way, GDPR is about how did you acquire it? Why are you processing it? And... The massive open hole for people to process data like the business email address is legitimate interest. So that's why I am sending you this email. The e-privacy rules around whether you can send an email, we, we use a traffic light sort of system where there are some countries that are like, absolutely, you should not. Some countries where they go, no problem at all. And some countries where they go, no, you, you, you shouldn't send emails, but they don't make it explicit between B2B and B2C. So in the UK... It's completely green in the U.S., although they have to bear in mind things like GDPR. It's uh, CAN-SPAM. I know there are some stricter strict regulations in uh, California, for example, yeah. but it's, you know we, we've done the back-end work to allow us to comply with the, those rules. So you know we're not experts. Well, we've got an expert in-house, but you know, I'm not going to go into the details of that. Just assume that for the majority of it, the U.S., as long as you don't keep emailing people, you give them a clear opt-out, it's fine. And then around Europe, there are like Sweden is the same as, as the UK. I think France is. But all the red countries are posted like, like Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, where they're just like, look, you can't do it. It's quite clear. However, I and we have never seen a single instance of anyone who sent some B2B emails, whether they were marketing or one to one or whatever, being looked at or anything happening with a regulator. Because ultimately, that's not particularly interesting to them. And we, if you email 10,000 people and three people said, I didn't want to receive an email, nothing is really going to come of that. Now, we can't say that 100% nothing would come of it because you never know, but there's no evidence for it. So if you're, if you're looking at any of this in a balanced way, if you do one-to-one outbound emails, marketing laws aren't designed to stop salespeople from functioning. You know, they don't want people to feel they can't send an email to somebody and have to get their permission. So it's just about being respectful. And if you send an email, if somebody doesn't want to receive it, don't email them again. Keep a log who who doesn't want to be emailed. If you are concerned, just avoid you doing it in countries like Germany, uh, Switzerland, and, and, and Austria. Uh, but everywhere else, we you know we prospect all over the world, and we're doing it at a much larger scale than our clients because we're doing it on behalf of hundreds of clients, and we yeah. do have issues. Because if, if, if ever somebody says, I don't want to be emailed, you just – Don't email them again. You tell them how you got the information, provide them with that and say, yeah, we'll make sure you're removed. And then that's that.
1: But it was an absolute pleasure to have you, Steve, on the show today. It's Um, been great. I think we need to organize session number two. uh, (laughs) Sounds like it. To to dig into a little bit more stuff. And also, I'd like to, you know, we just make sure that we we, we should speak to you to see how we could work together. So, you know, you guys can help us to get a better response rate because we definitely are getting anywhere at 15% right now. Have so uh, yeah, go. it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for your, all the insights that you shared with us today.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Frank.
1: Cheers. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.